So, all right. So we're talking about Star Wars now for some reason. And I don't know if it's because well, Jim wants to I, talk I, about I, it or I want to talk about it because it, it was a little I, bit I un, unclear to me. I I feel like I want to talk about it intellectually, but I don't need to. There's no emotional connection there for me. But okay. well, I I feel like it comes up a lot in all of our podcasts. And it's because it's part of the the cultural zeitgeist part of the language. Yeah. But it's interesting because I don't think either of us are particularly invested in the Star Wars conversation. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think that, like, obviously, if you're invested in Star Wars and we see this happening on our feeds, people get really deep into why it's important that this movie is good or that one's good or why Star Wars is great or why it sucks or why some recent development is great or why it sucks. And I'm sure both of us have opinions about Star Wars movies we've seen in recent years. But I feel like I'm just too old to really worry about Star Wars. Yeah, I, I think that I would be interested to know what the age group is of the people who are bitching the most about it. I see a lot of people my age bitching, so I don't think really? it's, yeah, I don't think it's limited by age. I think I think it's limited by how tired the Internet makes you, um, <laughs> which is usually a sign of age. Right. Yeah. I get exhausted with the Internet pretty early in the day. I don't know if I was 12. I think I'd be pretty exhausted by the internet too i you know it's it's an exhausting thing sometimes uh but star wars really seems to be i here's what i think is going on i think star wars is we're obviously not talking about star wars when we talk about star wars on the internet right like we're talking about other things and star wars has become the battlefield where other cultural issues get hashed out and very think, good point and i think that's happening with everything so if 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 burn were a song that people knew about which they don't like nobody talks about burn anymore the disagreement we had over burn would have really been about trump or something like that do you know what i mean it would have been right. it would have been about right. something going on in the world that people are have strong emotions about this song would have been so much better if it weren't for immigrants yeah that would have been immigrants ruined this song yeah, that, right it, it yeah. would have been some kind of well it would have been more like if you like burn, then you're pro-immigrant and I don't like you for that reason. I mean, that would have been or, or the opposite. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so you're saying you don't think people deserve housing? Yeah. That, that, so, that's how the conversation. Would here's have an example. Wrong. Like with Star Wars, how you feel about Rose Tico doesn't it's not it's not meant to, to say what you feel about that character. It's meant to say what you feel about, like diversity or right. or the or or Asian-Americans or whatever group she happens to represent. And that's where the culture is in terms of how it consumes entertainment yeah. now. Um, and so, and, and star Wars just has to happens to be at the forefront of that because it was when, when they announced the new trilogy, it was the biggest thing in the world. Cause we've been waiting for right. good star Wars material. And right. it also got, it was clear that the conflicts going on in the culture were going on behind the scenes at the people making star Wars, that there was, the, the, there was a big enough of a disconnect between the first movie and the second movie and the third movie. And I haven't seen the third movie, so I don't know for sure, but it seems that way based on what I've heard that there was some kind of pulling and arguing going on about, you know, is this about appeasing the older fans or is this about presenting this particular message and things like that. So I think, I think that, you know, it's, it's just become the battlefield for it. And I don't, to me, it seems like, when somebody tells me that they like or they don't like this installment of the of the new trilogy, it has a lot less to do with their honest emotional reaction to the story they saw and more to do with 
how they think the people that made it feel about the relevant issues of the day. Does that make sense or is that? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense, which is interesting because that's what science fiction is supposed to do. But Star Wars isn't science fiction. It's fantasy and Western in space. So science fiction is supposed to open us up to these kind of debates. And we're supposed to be looking at the culture through the lens of, say, I don't know, Dune or Rendezvous with Rama or uh, the best of science fiction for the Forever War, right? Yeah. The Forever War is amazing. People people don't know that story enough, but people should check out the Forever War if they're unfamiliar with it. Because that's a really, that's a perfect example of how to do science fiction and how to do it in a way where you're, 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 you're clearly commenting on something that's relevant, but you're, here's the thing about Star Wars. Star Wars is not built for that kind of discussion is the problem, I think. I think, right, right. Uh, you know, I'm a big science fiction fan. My dad was a big science fiction fan. So I always had those kind of books in the house and I would read them. And if you're reading Arthur C. Clarke or you're reading, you know, uh, you know, Frank Herbert, the, the way that those books books are built is around an idea it's around a thought experiment star wars is not built around a thought experiment so any no. any amount of that that enters into it is all going to be fairly superficial and it's just it's it's and it's not to say that it can't carry ideas it does carry ideas but i think star wars works best when it's carrying really universal really simple ideas versus something more specific and and so i i, I don't know i feel like maybe that's why there's so much emotion around it and obviously with the second movie i think one of the things they were trying to do was maybe make star wars capable of carrying those kind of ideas but but maybe the problem that they ran into in terms of dividing the audience was the first movie wasn't doing that and so by the time you get to the second movie there's a lot of there's a lot of debates i'm sure we could have over the structure of the new trilogy. But by the time you get to the second movie, it's kind of like it's trying to do something different. And so it automatically divides the fan base because the people who are hungry for that are satisfied. The people who wanted it to continue, you know, modeling sort of this, you know, universal simple ideas approach were dissatisfied. And, and so, you know, we kind of end up, I don't know. I, I'm what amazes me about star Wars and the new trilogy is when the new trilogy came out, I remember there being like a small group of people who were kind of really against it. But overall, there was sort of this optimistic atmosphere among all the people who were anticipating it and wanted it to come out and were excited. And I saw over the course of the next couple of years how that group of people just completely divided in two, um, which is amazing to me. Like, I, like I, I, I... I didn't realize something like star, like I, star Wars always, it, it always raised emotions and there was always an element of Lucas sucks, but to see the audience turn against each other was sort of striking to me. I one in, one through three were all so very bad that seven comes across as an apology, right? So wait, wait a second. When you say one through three, you're, you're saying the, uh, Episodes the, one, two, and three, not the, the prequels. You're talking about the yeah, prequels. prequels. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When I use the numbers, I'm using the, the actual numbers. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's a fair question. Um, so one, two, and three were so bad that seven comes across as an apology. Yeah. Right. Definitely. And by the way, I've, I've looked at all the spoilers on nine. And so uh, nine comes across as an apology for eight, by the way. Yeah. That's, um, that's my impression too. That's my impression. So 
these when you make an apology like that, everybody says, "Okay, we're going to reset here. We're going to we're all emotionally invested now and going forward. We're going to forget about what you did to us with one, two and three. Right. And that that's the thinking going on. I'm not saying that any of this thinking is justified. I'm just exploring what it is. Yeah. And then eight comes along and it. It couldn't have gotten it more wrong. And I'm not going to even talk about what people like and don't like about it. I don't even want to break that down. Yeah. It got it so wrong that the sales went from two billion on episode seven to one point three billion on episode eight. Nobody was going back a second time to watch it. Nobody was telling their friends to go see it. But critics loved it. There, I mean, we have to acknowledge there was a. Uh, okay. There was a, no. I mean, this is important for us to acknowledge. Not you don't have to agree with it, but I'm just saying. Right. There was a like if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, it's like what 99 percent fresh for the critics. Yeah, and the, but and the audience score is obviously much lower. Right. There's there's some problems with how they do their metrics too, but. But but I mean generally, wouldn't you say critics seem to like that movie like that like when if I re- a critic gives it a fifty one out of a hundred, that's a positive red tomato. No, I get that, I get that. But but what I'm saying, and I'm not a fan. Uh, like I was entertained by episode eight, but I agree with most of the criticisms of it that you're bringing to the table. Like I, it, as if, a, it, it it doesn't make sense for the second movie in a trilogy to deviate that much from the first movie, right? And, and so even without examining any of that, if you just look at the metrics of the, the financials, mm-hmm. somebody somewhere at Disney has to say, you left $0.7 billion on the table. How did that happen? Yeah. Why is this movie not doing – we paid $4 billion to get this property, and you lost us money on this second movie. That you didn't lose us, lose us, but that you left money behind that we could have had. How does this happen? And of course, finger pointing is going to happen, right? Yeah. Well, Ryan did. Oh, well, JJ let this happen. Well, this is and, Kathleen's fault, right? And I and I want to I want to be clear. While I agree with the criticisms, I don't necessarily blame the director for that problem. I think. Oh, I absolutely do. Well, well, no, well let me explain. My, let me explain myself. I think whoever somebody obviously is making the decisions above that person in terms of maintaining quality control and deciding who gets to make each film. And they have to make sure everybody's on the same page. And my feeling is Abrams and Ryan were not on the same page. And Well, Abrams has gone on record as saying, we let Ryan do whatever he wanted. Okay. And, See, uh, and that's, that that's true, the problem. That's the problem. Ryan's not right. the problem. Letting Ryan do whatever he wanted is the problem, right? Right. If that statement is true, then there's a bunch of headaches because you don't do that with a $4 billion property, yeah, right? Yeah. You don't let this one guy. Um, and that doesn't... The opposite isn't also true, right? You don't want to make a movie through committee either. Um, that's what made Seven so bad is that it was just a committee thing and there's no there's no interesting characters. Nobody is jumping on the screen and making me say, oh, I can't wait for the next yeah. movie. You're, in, you're invested for the next movie because they're apologizing for one, two, and three and they're resetting and let's see where this goes. And Han Solo's on the screen, yeah. right? I mean, I like that's, seven, but don't don't you think that seven achieved like that? That was kind of what they had to do because of the like they did. Like, what else? What else could they have done after the prequels? Oh, I could I could talk about that for four hours. But you know what, what I mean? The, like the mood after the prequels was pretty pretty foul, sure. you know. And so people just I mean, it's one of these things where it's this is kind of why I like to root things in their time. At that time, I remember when it came out. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. 
people wanted Star Wars to get back to being Star Wars. And the problem with the prequels was it didn't feel like Star Wars to people, right? Like it, it uh, or, or am I wrong? Am I, am I incorrect? I think that there is a disconnect with creating the property and then the marketing of the property because marketing people get scared really quick, yeah. right? Look at episode one. We would have watched episode one. Episode one would have made a trillion gajillion dollars no matter what it was. Because yeah. it was Star Wars again after 30 years of no Star Wars, right? You don't have to show Darth Maul with a double-sided lightsaber in the preview. We don't even need to know he exists. We're going to go see that fucking movie. I remember feel, like seeing the scroll of a new Star Wars movie was the most thrilling thing in the world when that yeah. came out. Yeah. that And that's all you needed. Just yeah. some quiet shots, show us some of the new ships. That's it. And we would have gone and seen one. So I think the marketing is is robbing us of the joy of some of these surprises that should have been in the movies. And they're they're taking a sort of this fearful approach, which stops us from being able to go into the movies with any kind of wide eyes. The the wonder of Star Wars is dead because marketing is robbing the wonder from us. We know Palpatine's in nine. Yeah. He's in the preview. How great of a surprise would that have been? Palpatine's been alive all this time. Holy crap, how's that possible? Well, and the reason why they put that there is because they know it's going to bring people to the movie. Well, that know. and they killed Snoke in 8, which no, they but, shouldn't have but, done. But, by, but yeah. by telling people Palpatine's in there, that's their way of saying we're kind of not going the direction people thought we were going with, with sure. 8, right? Like that's the, right. you know, this is going to, it suggests that there is a complete story from the, from, seven to nine somehow do you know what i mean whereas eight seemed to be saying there isn't a complete story do you know what i mean like it seemed to be yeah. going in its own new direction um i think i think if eight was number seven it would have made more sense but by having where it came chronologically is where it kind right. of you know became right. the problem um you don't you you okay somebody somebody else said this to me but it made total sense and again i want to emphasize when i saw episode eight i actually did a podcast on it and it was like six months after it came out so it was well after the whole discussion had occurred where i said i thought it was entertaining i enjoyed it i had fun watching it um but the, a lot of the criticisms i understood some of them i didn't like i liked rose tico as a character i thought she was a cool character i didn't have a problem with stuff like that i had a problem with this is the second installment of a trilogy and it doesn't connect with that material at all and so yeah. now and this is what the person said to me when you watched empire you got first you got the emotional beat of the revelation that Vader is Luke Skywalker's father that there's nothing more operatic in Star Wars than that moment yeah absolutely and, and then you have the added cliffhanger of Han being frozen in carbonite and knowing that they're going to have to go rescue him yes and that makes you say wow i just found out this amazing thing about Luke Skywalker and now i want to see them rescue Han so you know why you're there for the third movie I have no idea why I'm coming to the third movie of this trilogy because there's nothing really connecting from the second film to the third. Do you know, right. there, there's nothing. There was nothing planted that left me saying, "Wow, I need to get, I need to see the third installment." Right. Um, and I and so I, I I just feel like structurally as a trilogy, the new series doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, and I think that's to me that's the biggest problem with it. That's a really, really good point. Um, and I, you know, I would love to sit down and 
at some point on some other show, not on our heavy metal podcast, and talk about what I would have done to make six better and how I would have fixed eight, right? And and I wouldn't want to do that as some arrogant piece of shit. I would just look at it from a structural point of view and say, this is why six goes off the rails. This is why eight goes off the rails structurally. Mm-hmm. You can still make all the choices you wanted to as the director and writer, but structurally you're not even writing a story that anybody is emotionally connected to. And yeah. those failures happen as soon as you decide that you're not going to honor the structure that's been built already. If, if you don't like Luke Skywalker as a character, you don't like Star Wars. Yeah, that, Luke yeah. is Star Wars. That 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 to, I think that's one of the big dividing lines. There is is I don't know how to address this because that, that I mean, on the one hand it's it's one thing to add a layer of nuance to a character that might have been too simple in like a in the right. first story, and now we're going to spend three more movies on it. So we need to kind of we need to add some gray here to have it make sense. That that I get. But the way that the eighth movie did it, it was it kind of just turned everything on its head, and, and it did more than that. But you know, but what it, it sort of inverted everything a little bit. It was like you thought Luke Skywalker was a good guy; he's not such a you know. I mean, it was sort of like that kind of a thing. Um, and it was also I think it is okay for Luke to go to the dark side. That's fine. If I'm not that's saying the that story. You, yeah, no, but, I'm saying if that's what you'd wanted to do, great. But to crap on all of his philosophies and say he's not really the guy that you thought he was. He's just this mamby-pamby weirdo. That, that's, why even bother putting him in the story? Why have Luke there at all? Yeah, no, I, I get that. Like, I could see, like, in, in, in Return of the Jedi, there was a possibility of him going to the dark side. And it would have still been a good movie if he had gone to the dark side, I think. Um, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, because he, he he didn't really go no, to the dark I didn't side. That's what you're saying. I'm oh. adding to your premise. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, it just feels like there's a bitterness underlying some of it. That if you feel that way about Star Wars, I think that's fine. But you're probably better off making that movie outside of the Star Wars universe. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of like Michael Moorcock didn't like Tolkien, right? So he didn't he didn't write a sequel to Lord of the Rings. And right. crap on Lord of the Rings because all of the Lord of the Rings fans are going to have every reason in the world to dislike him. He That he, is a great analogy. Yeah, he, he made his own fantasy and and he and 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 it's and it became its own classic and it became part of the conversation about you know that fantasy authors were supposed to be having. Whereas if you take somebody's material in order to crap on it, I don't know, it's it's sort of like, how do you expect people to react? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you know <laughs> right. what I'm saying? Like, I understand why you don't like it. Like, I understand there's a valid critique that you could have of this thing. But if you if you then say, okay, well, now I'm going to make my own Star Wars and it's going to be all about making you angry if you like Star Wars. I, I, I think that that, I can see how that sort of feeds this loop that we're in. And I'm not necessarily not kinda not well, kinda. Well, that but the I thing mean, is, that... I don't want to pin all the blame on the people who didn't who who didn't who who were fans of what eight did because I think the people who disliked what eight did also were feeding this loop. Do you know what I mean? There's this there's this yeah. bitterness underlying the whole dialogue that I well, just find incredibly off putting. Here's something um, interesting too about that. I'm not going to say the people that hate eight are right or wrong. They're allowed to have their feelings. Hmm. 
Disney and the heads of Disney, the heads of Star Wars, immediately blamed those people and said, no, you're wrong. You don't know yeah. what Star Wars is. And that that was the crystallizing moment. At that point, all those people were uninvested. They didn't go to see Rogue One. They didn't go to see Han Solo. Right there. They may or may not be watching The Mandalorian. I don't know. But that was a big F you. And the easiest thing in the world to do is to keep the customers you have. Yeah. When you're as big as Star Wars, fan service should be your middle name when you're making that movie. Who cares if it's not great art? Give the fans what they want. They want to see Chewbacca beating guys up and tearing their arms off. Right. That's the moment people wanted in seven. They've never gotten to see Chewbacca tear somebody's arm off, and yet that's exactly what he's purported to do in four. I think I think the way social media operates, it's very easy to sort of turn people on an individual online when you can paint them in a certain light. And it's one thing if you and I are doing that to each other or fans are doing that to each other, but it's a whole other kettle of fish when a big, massive corporation does it. Yep, and yep when they do it in a way to shield themselves from criticism. So, and granted, there are definitely toxic fans out there who won't watch a Star Wars movie because they don't want a girl to be in charge. But those people were voicing those opinions when when Seven came out, right? The, those people right. weren't really on board for Seven anyways. So, uh, and I'm sure that there were, uh, and, and those people probably returned with Eight to gloat or something. But I think when Eight came out, the divide wasn't so much around that as it was around, do you want Star Wars to be Star Wars or do you want it to be more about this other conversation that the director was was trying to have? And, and, and rather than allow that conversation to happen, I feel like the people that made Star Wars, Disney sort of added to it by saying, look, the people who didn't like this movie were bad people. Do you know what I mean? Like that... That's that's not like right. that's Disney that's saying that. Do you know what I mean? Like like when you have when you have a company with that big of a platform getting involved in the conversation in that way, I think I, I don't think it's particularly responsible. Do you know what I mean? And and yeah. and I don't I, and again I don't think I like I think there was a lot of horrible stuff going on. I saw a lot of racist stuff being thrown at the woman who played sure. Rose Tico, and I didn't like right. that. And I think that that was all bad. But but I feel like. There's this, I don't know, when I go online, I sometimes get ill. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't get ill, but I get like, I get this sinking feeling in my pit, of my stomach when I see things being discussed online, because I know that there's a lot more of a reasonable way to talk about this form of entertainment and for people to have disagreements about it without me assuming, like, like we could have started this and I could have, I could have begun this conversation with like, okay, Jim, tell me why you think eight sucks so badly. Do you know what I mean? And I, I could have been on you the whole time trying to make right. you look like a monster for, right. for having legitimate structural concerns about the episode, right? Or just right. it just didn't resonate with you or nine didn't resonate with you or the idea that you've heard right. for nine. So, you know, I, I, I and again, to me, I just don't feel like we're in a good place culturally where we've decided the place for us to fight all of our battles about morality, politics and and, and culture is Star Wars. I, yeah, And I think it's because of the reason that we said before, Star Wars is not built to handle idea experiments. If, if, we, yeah. if we were fighting this battle in like a more traditional science fiction venue, it might, it might actually yield some interesting fruit. But I don't think you're going to see that with Star Wars. Um, right. And I also don't think that it's healthy for us to, 
um, to have that, like, like 20% of the people that are engaged in that conversation realize that's what the conversation is about. And I think 80% of the people don't. And that's where it gets really messy. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of the, well, a lot of these people are young and impressionable, right? How, I don't think 14 year old boys should be allowed on the internet. Let's start with that. Oh, that's a, that's a very strong statement. I don't <laughs> but, necessarily agree, but let's see where it takes you. Let's go, go, go on. A, a, a lot of times when you hear people shouting certain kinds of things on the internet, it's a 14 year old boy or somebody who's emotionally 14, right? And I don't so, think it's just boys too. I think it's 14 year olds in general. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But we all know that 14 year old boys like to call each other horrible things while they're playing you know, battleground or whatever they're you're, playing. You're with. underestimating the ability of young girls to be mean to each other too, though. Like I've, I've seen yes. some, yes. I've seen some gangster stuff from both so, groups. Uh, let's, let's, let's take everybody from age 11 to 18 off the internet. Yeah. I don't know. So my point being is that a lot of these arguments that are happening are happening with people who are in that emotional age range where everything is personalized. Everything is an attack and they're getting involved without any kind of, and maybe they're the loudest, right? Maybe they're the ones that are being heard. I don't know. But they're getting involved without any other cultural context or foundational information about how to actually talk about what is bothering you. And that yeah. permeates, right? It, you yeah. and I aren't young, but if somebody started saying, well, fucking Iron Maiden sucks and this is why Iron Maiden sucks, th they might say the one trigger word in all of that to get us involved in the argument yeah. that we should not be in no, in the first and place. And I've, I've been in those arguments. And usually by the eighth reply, I realize, oh, I shouldn't have even stepped into this discussion. Right, right. But yeah. it's so easy to get dragged yeah. into it. it. It's not even an uh, it's not an unreasonable scenario for me to describe. Yeah. Imagine you're talking about the biggest IP on the planet with 55 bajillion fans and somebody says... Rose is horrible because she's Asian and stupid and she doesn't yeah. do anything. Okay. What if 99% of what you just said is true? The character's horrible and she doesn't do anything. Why did you bring up Asian? Yeah. Now yeah. that's the only part of that conversation we're going to talk about. And now we're not talking about Star Wars anymore. We've been roped into this horrible debate because this 14-year-old didn't know how to keep his fingers from typing something stupid. Because he's either being a troll or he doesn't know when to stop. Yeah, I, I mean th that part. That part of it is the part that sincerely bothers me. Is the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, absolutely, it um, bothers me too. Uh, but but what what I don't like is that the is a lot of this stuff is going on, and I feel like the adults in the room are playing into it. And yeah, like there is this. I mean, like we'll see those conversations take place, and I will see adults who I think should know better exploit the power that that kind of anger can give them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And on both sides of the discussion, because there are people making that claim about Rose Tico. And then there are the people on the other side who are convinced that everybody who doesn't like Rose Tico is one of those people. Right. So you have right. both, you have, you have the worst of both of them. And I see the adults in the room just understanding, okay, that is a block of people who I can influence to spread the message I want spread, right? You know I mean? Which, which usually has nothing to do with the really nefarious thing going. It's usually more like I want people to agree with me that episode eight is great or bad, and they're just cynically exploiting that. And 
I don't know. It's, I, it's disingenuous, right? I had an argument once online with somebody. I was trying to talk about how I'm not interested in strong female characters. I'm interested in interesting female characters. Uh -huh. And there's a hundred reasons why I don't even like the term strong when we're okay. talking about female characters. But I was trying to explain, look, we have definitions of what masculine and feminine are. We know what those are. And we're trying, we're, gender isn't really a, a, at that tightly constrained anymore. But when it's time to talk about strong female characters, all of a sudden they take on all these masculine properties. Mm -hmm. And somebody tried to pin me to the word masculine, right? Yeah. It's very clear what I'm saying. There's no confusion. I'm not saying men are horrible. I'm not saying women are horrible. I'm not saying anyone's great. At no point did it even sound like I was saying one gender is better than the other. I said, I want to see interesting female characters on the screen because that's what drags, draws me into a character, not whether or not they're strong. And sure enough, this guy wanted me to define what masculine was or what feminine was. And I said, pretending you don't know what these words mean is disingenuous. Well, people have a really and, simplified notion of those terms, too, when right. they're using them. So and and we, we fight that way, that same way, with everything that is Star Wars, with everything that is Firefly, with everything that is the Marvel movies now, right? Yeah. That female moment at the end of Avengers 4... I didn't so see Avengers 4, so I don't, I don't know. It was moment. so pandering and so uncomfortable, right? I want Captain Marvel was the best Marvel movie so far. I want to see women getting their movies. I don't want to see pandering. I don't want to see these awful, yeah. disingenuous moments in film. And it is so easy to take apart what I just said and make me look like I'm a misogynist. No, I know exactly what you're saying. I know exactly. If you what you're look saying. at my bevy of work, the shit that I've created, you know for a fact that I'm not. That it's impossible. But if somebody wanted to tear my apart my argument apart and call me a misogynist because I didn't like that moment in Avengers Four. And, and that's what I'm what saying. Can I do? That's what what can I do? What can any of us do? That's what I'm saying about reading everything through the lens of, okay, you like this, so this means A, B, and C about you. Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. and I'm and, agreeing with and, you. And you're saying, yeah, and, but, I, but I like what you're saying because I think what we're both saying is neither of us are fans of pandering. And I think what people have to understand is if you grew up in the ages that we grew up in, we were pandering makes us want to vomit. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I grew up in the Just Say No era, which was. Uh, which was the worst of both pandering and edutainment. And so we had very special episodes all the time on television. Um, yeah. This idea that that a guy in a suit at a production studio is going to give me a message about not using drugs in in something that really should be more artistic. Do you know what I mean? Does not it doesn't sit well with me because I right. know that I know that at the end of the day, this person doesn't really care about whether I use drugs or not. And I know that the that they don't you can see that because the nuances of their drug argument are completely absent. They it's all signboard allegory type stuff where right. you know drug drugs are bad. Do you know what I mean? And you get the same kind of thing when people pander and they try to they try to put a strong female character in there where everything gets simplified and, and it, and, and what, if, if they were really being equal, they would have really shitty female characters in there that are interesting, right? Like, like right. the, like the, the most interesting characters in books and stories are often the least likable or, or have some strange quirk about them. They're not right. perfect. And, and when, when you pander, you tend to make the characters too good or, do you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So I don't. I, I think that's everybody's hatred for the new characters, the new trio, in in the, the Star Wars, the new trilogy, is that they're all so bland. They don't have any strengths or weaknesses. They're just people. I think I'm trying to think like so. I I don't really. So who are the three characters? It's Rose T. Ray Finn oh, and the okay. and Poke. Yeah, Poke. Poke. Poe. 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 That's how you pronounce it. Sorry. I'm trying to think. This I mean, is how little I care about Star Wars, right? I okay. don't even know the characters' names. I, I mean, I didn't have a problem with those characters because I saw. I mean, I saw Ray kind of similar to Luke in that he's kind of a vanilla character too. But like, it's meant to be the character that you put yourself in their shoes. And you know. Luke was the naive narrator lens that we were seeing the movie through, so that he could ask questions about the world, and we would learn about the world through Luke's naivete. Yeah. yeah. But, but so we already Luke know about the least, world now. What's that? But we know about the world now. Okay, do we? If you're a brand new audience member? And well, I guess that's true. But I was watching it as somebody who grew up watching the old movies. So I didn't and have... And the trilogy is supposed to be extending the story. There should be new facets. Ray should have been asking questions of where the fuck the First Order came from. How is there a First Order when we just destroyed the Empire? There's no explanation as to where the First Order comes from. Right. And I don't want it again. I don't want, don't want to get bogged down in these. De- and, and I understand yeah. your criticism. Like, I, I enjoyed the characters. She but should they, be but they asking those kinds of questions and displaying the same naivete or curiosity. Right. You don't have to frame it as naivete. I, you could frame it as curiosity. I, I have a different way of describing what you're talking about. And I think I would agree with you if I describe it this way. Did you watch the Karate Kid movies? Yeah. Did you watch all three of them? I did. OK. You remember how by the third movie they had they had shaved off all of the rough edges of the Daniel character so that he was completely uninteresting. Whereas in the yeah. first movie, he was kind of a jerk. He had this volatility to him. He he, he was antagonistic. At t- he he was interesting. Right. And by the third movie, he was just a weenie. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. if you look at the characters from the first trilogy and then compare them to their counterpoints in the new trilogy, right? it's those same characters, but with all of the edges filed off. To me, it's sure. not so much about depth. It's that Han Solo was an asshole. Do you know what I mean? He right. was a jerk. And the Poe Dameron character is as much of an asshole as you can be today and still be liked. Do you know what I mean? But he's not the same level of asshole that Han Solo was. Right. And so I think that's the same with all the characters. Leia was like this... She had a mouth. Do you know what I mean? Leia was 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 not a well-behaved character. Do you know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> and right. you know, the... And I don't, I don't know. I guess Finn is kind of her, like who's who's the Leia counterpoint in the new group. I don't know if it perfectly pairs up because because Ray is sort of doing double duty. Um, but right. But I'm going to say Finn just for the sake of argument. I think Finn, he, he's his his the thing that's interesting about him is that he's not really willing to get involved. Do you know what I mean? He's kind of got like, but, but that's about it. There's no, there's no sharp edge to that. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just a little bit of cowardice. It's not, it's, it's, I don't, I don't even think Finn is a character. I think he's a plot point and that's why he doesn't do anything in eight. I think he was put in there to make us think he's going to be the next Jedi because he picks up the lightsaber first. Yep. Yep. And that, that he's designed to throw us off because it really turns out to be Ray. Yeah. And I, I, I think, by the way, I think that that was fine. I don't have a problem. I'm not saying that that's bad. But this is the flaw with the two books in the Dragon Tattoo series that I was talking about earlier, is that in two and three, the main character turns into a plot point. She's not a character anymore. Mm-hmm. 
And you can't do that. You have to revere and love the characters you're creating. Uh, Norman Lear, per, I love this story. Norman Lear was the guy that created every great TV show in the 70s. He, he is one of the greatest writers of all time and greatest TV producers of all time. I love everything he ever made. When they did All in the Family, the lady that played Edith didn't want to do any more episodes of the, sh of the show. And uh, the guy, uh, the other two also left the show eventually. Sally Struthers and she went Meathead. She went to 9 to 5 Meathead? or something, didn't she, Sally Struthers? Yeah, I don't no, I don't think she was in 9 to 5, but she, she was, went she on was to... in the, the TV series 9 to 5, wasn't she? Oh, oh, maybe. So they all went off and did other things. They didn't want to do the show anymore. But Archie was, the guy playing Archie, um, Carol O'Connor, he decides to stay on and they do Archie Bunker's Place for four seasons. But Edith is never on the screen because he's running a pub and she's at home. She dies in the last season of Archie Bunker's Place, but she's never on the screen when she dies. Mm -hmm. Norman Lear was so attached to that character. He had to call up the actress that plays Edith. She was in London doing a play. He has to get on the phone and call her. Is it OK with you if I kill Edith? He he couldn't do it without her permission. That is a love and reverence for your creation. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see that. You, th yeah. That you, I think, I used to work on uh, L5R, the Legend of Five Rings card game. And I would tell people, we have to love all of these clans equally. We work for this company. You cannot pick favorites. The fans cannot know you have a favorite. We cannot show favoritism. We have to show reverence for all of this. We are creating this characters. We are creating this environment. Yeah. And it's okay for you to, not give as much screen time to this one, one character. That's a nobody that's meant to die, but we have to treat all the big heroes equally. That and I agree with hundred percent. You have to, you have to do the same with your bad guys too. You have to love your bad you guys. Have to do as well. Absolutely. With yeah. your bad guys. Absolutely. If, and there, your, I think, I think Kylo Ren is interesting, but it was very obvious early on that fans were never going to like this guy because he comes across as a weenie. I kind of like right. him, I gotta say, but I think it's because he's a spiky character in the same way. Sure, some of those earlier ones were where, like, I get what you're saying; he's definitely a weenie. But we've but gone it's... from Count Dooku to Darth Vader to, yeah. to to Palpatine and all these other Sith badasses. We needed the next guy to be absolutely vile, on a Which they scale done, that made that... the other. What's that? They could have done that, and that would have worked. But this also worked for me, just as a dramatic level where there's an emotion underlying that that works and it makes me feel like he's capable of it works for you things. and i because of our age mm. but we're talking about making a character that's going to resonate for three different generations of okay. star wars fans okay right and everybody's going to look at that character and say oh well he's just coming across as an entitled millennial yeah. i don't want to watch it now yeah right okay so okay and, and it's it's suffering from the same thing right there's four main characters going on and there should have been a fifth, yeah. maybe a, 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 a right hand man to Kylo Ren uh, that we could have latched onto and been interested in. But they they spent so much time bringing Leia and Han and Luke yeah. into the story. There was no time for anybody to get any growth, any breath. Well, I, I want to push back a little bit on that. I actually do <clears> agree <throat> with your assessment of the other characters, even though I liked the first movie, not the first movie, seven. Uh, I think that I can't really dispute what you're saying about the difference in how the characters were made and developed and all that. But when it comes to when it comes to Kylo Ren, I and maybe it was just by accident 
and a stroke of luck, but I feel like he's the most compelling character in the movie. And, and I think the reason why is there's something universal about that. Maybe a person my age, possibly your age too, can, 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 can feel, which is he's trying to, he's trying to fill his grandfather's shoes. And his grandfather was this, this mess. You, you just said like, you know, you you have to follow him up with an even more badass person. And the central conflict of that character is, am I good enough to be the villain that this guy was? Right. And I think that's interesting. That's like, that's unique. That's not something I've seen before. And I said, I love it. I personally love it. I get it. But that might be a little too nuanced. No, I think that works. I think that's, I don't, I think if that was the only thing in the movie, I don't think people would complain about that. I think the other elements that you're talking about, because that's dark. That, that has potential to become a lot more catastrophic than Vader, who's filled with confidence. And do you know what I mean? He's got, he's got some remorse, obviously, but, but Vader kills somebody and doesn't look back. And Kylo Ren is somebody, if he kills you, I think it's personal, you know? Yeah. Like, um, I, I think if you want to sell that and I, I, we're talking structure here again, I'm not telling saying anything right or wrong, but I think if you want to sell that kind of character, he needs a right hand man who's there watching everything happen. And his facial expressions are mirroring our emotions and saying, holy crap, is he going to kill me now? Who's he going to lash yeah. out at next? Well, he, right? they did, when, the when first, he has his tantrums in 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 seven, they kind of did that. Like they always had people observing when he was having right. his tantrums. Uh, but we, I think, I, I I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna go back on my my training as a writer, and I I'm gonna say I think we need a specific lens, a single character who's loyal to this guy, but is always afraid. And it's am I am I gonna die next? You know what they should have done when he killed Snoke? That should have been a tantrum. It shouldn't have been right. the situation it was. It should have right. been a tantrum like where it was just him and Snoke. Yeah, and then that would have made more sense, I think. Um, but I mean, you know, we could. We, I guess we could. Nothing do... about that fight scene made any sense in eight. So I, we're we're going to go on a huge tangent there. But getting yeah, I, all I, the way back, and I would probably need to see eight again to even comment intelligently on that scene because I only saw it. It's on think, Netflix. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Here's the thing. Like I, I was entertained by it, but I really don't know if I want to sit through it again. Um, I hated it so much. It, it's it's all it's it's not. Empire is a film I will happily go back to and watch again and again. And to me, eight was entertaining in the way a lot of movies are entertaining, where I see them once or twice, but then I don't really have a desire to go back and watch them. Um, you know, so I, I, I yeah, I, I I think it's. I don't know something. It wasn't just that it deviated. It was also kind of lengthy and. Uh, and a little bit of a slog to get through. So, so you know, it, I I will say this: visually, eight had so many pretty colors going on that I was really impressed that that happened in a movie where attention to detail just didn't seem to exist. Yeah, no, the the visuals were great. I think that was part yeah. of what made it so entertaining for me. Um, some of the like some of the stuff fell flat, like the the joke at the beginning with the prank phone call that really didn't work for me. That, that kind of took me out of the movie. And I think that was the, the first moment. That's Disney though, right? That's Disney owning the property now. Instead of, I understood, I understood it. I was just like, this is not going to connect to me at age 43. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) um, 
and it's trying to recreate that moment where Han is saying, everything's fine here. How are you? Well, they're trying to recreate that moment. And no, and Star Wars, have the Star Wars, that's the thing. So only, only Han Solo can do what Han Solo does. And Poe Dameron isn't, right. he's not Han Solo. So you're missing oh. the charm, but also it's a really anachronistic gag because it's played as like a prank phone call. And you know that that's what it is. And like it, it feels out of place in the Star Wars universe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, whereas that exchange that Han had was just some guy who was trying to implement a good idea and it was falling apart because he doesn't have the competence to pull it off. Do you know what I mean? Right. The, right. So the, that was the other thing is that joke with Han, the joke was kind of on Han. Do you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and, and the Poe Dameron thing, the joke is on, you're supposed to fear the Empire. And right. that joke completely deflates any sense of fear you would have about them because they're they're being trolled by this guy. Do you know what I mean like they're they're falling for the oldest trick in the book, right? It just it just I don't know. It just kind of undermines a lot of the power of the villains yeah. in the movie. Um, so I I think I think a joke like that. It, it's not just that it was like a flubbed moment in the film. It's a it's a flubbed moment that had a lot of that carried over into the rest of the movie. Um, and. Andy Griffith said something really interesting to Don Knotts when they would make uh, the Andy Griffith show back in the day. He said, it's okay for you to be made fun of in a show. It is not okay for you to be the butt of the joke. And you need to be careful because they had writers writing the show, right? Andy didn't have tacit approval. He didn't give them tacit approval over everything or anything like that. He didn't hand wave it. They could put stuff in there and they just had to live with it. And he was always telling Don to be very careful of what the writers do to your character next, because once the fans lose respect for you, you're done. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. And so it was okay for him to be the oaf, right? mm -hmm. And Don Knotts, by the way, on Andy Griffith show was just always fantastic. I think he's, he was good on three's company too. He was good. Yeah. Comedy genius, right? Beyond anything. But there were, they were always pushing the boundaries of how far they could go to make, Don Knotts looks stupid. And because they couldn't push him too far, they had to bring in Gomer and the other idiot, Gomer's cousin, to write that kind of humor, which is when the show goes off the rails, so, right? So what he's basically saying is you can lose up to 90% of respect for the guy, but that last 10%, <laughs> you have to really... That has to be there, or the character evaporates. And, Essentially, yeah. I, I wouldn't give it a numeric value, but yeah, it's, if if you don't if you don't respect your character or if the audience loses respect for your character, you can never get it back. Yeah. That, no, that, that one moment. If the Fonz ever got pantsed on happy days. But he's a different kind of character. Liked... He's a different, like Don Nuts. No, no, I know. He, but, like you said, he's the, the oaf character, but you can only take that oafish, oafishness so far. The Fonz uh, could lose, right? And we'd still respect him. Yeah. But like, if you ever pantsed him or you ever put a kick me sign on him, it would have been over. Do you we remember, ne- this is a side point, but do you remember the karate episode with uh, Tom Hanks? As the I karate? do. I do. I absolutely love it. <laughs> um, but uh, it's just a side point. Actually, that raises a thought that's kind of connected to something going on. There is that humor in the movie, and Star Wars does have humor. But I remember I was reading something the other day where they were talking about how there aren't really any comedies anymore. Like, not in theaters. Like, you could probably find comedies on streaming and stuff. But, like, we don't make full-fledged comedies like we used to and so what they say there i guess there are a lot of reasons for it one of them is humor does not translate well overseas so there's not a lot of use in making 
and having a lot of a movie that rides entirely on dialogue humor that you're going to put into theaters here and in other countries. Right. Uh, but but the other thing is what they've done instead is they've shifted and put the humor into regular movies now so that if you're watching an action film, there's a lot of one liners and stuff, you know, and we've always had that, but the argument that the person was making, and I don't know if it's correct or not, cause I haven't done an analysis, but it seemed kind of reasonable is that now the humor is just kind of being sprinkled through all of our movies, but we're not getting concentrated comedy blockbusters anymore. And Oh, go, go, ahead. go ahead. You were going to say something. No, no, finish your thought. So I was going to say that might explain why they were doing what they did in eight, um, where the humor kind of made itself really known in a way that it might not have done in the first trilogy. Like there was humor, but it just was, I don't know. It was a little more hokey. It's hard to explain the, the, the humor. I think felt that's, different. The that's the nature of Disney, right? It has to be safe. Mm -hmm. um, I could talk a lot about wrestling right now. Uh, about the the corollaries between Disney and the WWE and why they work the way that they do now and why it's they're all so bad. But what I want to say about the comedy thing, the humor, why we don't make comedy movies anymore. Chris Rock once said, "You will work on a movie for six months, and you'll write a joke, and it takes you a year and a half to find out if that joke was funny." And that's a lot of work to put it put into a movie, to film it for six months, edit. So bring it around to all these screenings and then finally put it in front of a real audience and find out if people found it funny the way you found it versus yeah. doing stand up and you know instantly whether or not your joke was funny. It's really sad that that much work went into Spaceballs when you think about it, you know, that like that, like, like even bad comedy sort of, yeah. you know, requires that much work. You um, think Spaceballs is a bad comedy? No, I, but people generally. I, I just use it as an example because I, oh. I, I like Spaceballs, but I was a little kid when it came out and I saw it in the theater. And so I, it's, it's always amused me. But a lot of times when I talk to Mel Brooks fans, that's the film they pinpoint as the one where he loses connection with the stuff that he's making fun of. Oh, and, and my so, God, they are so wrong. Yeah, I, I thought that it was is... great. I thought it was great. So if, you know, I'm happy to use Men in Tights. You know, know what? Dead and Loving It. We'll use Dead and Loving It as the example because... I think everybody agrees that was pretty bad. Um, do you I know, don't even think I saw Dead and Loving It. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? The Dracula movie that he made? No. He made, Okay, the only, I've walked out of two movies in the theater. One of them was Dracula, Dead and Loving It by Mel Brooks, and the other one was oh. The Patriot with Mel Gibson. And those are the only two movies I've ever left because I was just not entertained by them. I'll sit through a movie that I disagree with. I'll sit with through a movie that is overwhelming me with emotion or whatever. But I, if, if a movie is boring me, I'm not going to stick around. And so those are the only two movies that bored me enough that I walked out. And, uh, and I was with a friend when I walked out of dead and loving it. And we both agreed it walking out was the thing to do. Yeah. Um, it was just terrible. I think, I think with Mel Brooks up through men in tights, I'm on board. And then after that, things started to go south. Well, and comedy is a young man's game, right? When yeah. you get older, you just... I don't know. I know some funny old men. I think uh, I think sometimes... Right, but, they're, but they're fu their funny isn't universal. When Mel yeah. Brooks was making his comedy as, as, when he was young, he was making it for people his age, and they all got it. They had that shared cultural experience. Yeah, there's a kids these days element to his yeah. later movies. Um, yeah. But, but, but either way, I, I think you know, your point that that amount of work goes into a comedy. Yeah. You know, 
but but it's interesting because it, it like okay, uh, I I don't I don't think you you're you're not a Tarantino fan, correct? Or did you say you were a fan of Tarantino? I am not. You were not. Okay. So, but I I enjoy breaking down his movies and trying to define them and figure okay. them out, right? So so it'll be it, the reason I bring him up is because he always describes his films as comedies, and you know that they're generally not perceived as comedies, but they're sort of like stealth comedies, and. He's also pop out, but go on. I'll get to my point after you're done. Okay. Well, no, but 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 the other thing is he's he's one of the he's probably one of the last filmmakers that kind of can do whatever they want, and it'll the yes. movie will get made. Um, yes. And so that's why it's relevant to this topic. I I just saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the first time the other day, and I had a reaction to it, which we could discuss another time. But the thing that I the thought that I had when I was watching it, regardless of how I felt about that movie was you don't really see movies like this anymore you know you, where where the director clearly you know i guess with the exception of episode eight ironically enough but where the director is just given liberty to do whatever they want um because of the safe thing that you're talking about how movies are made to be safe right. um i don't know i don't know i introduced a contradiction so i don't know if that mucks up the point that i was making or the point that you're gonna make but you know uh, well, no, no, no. My point is irrelevant now because you were going in a different direction with Tarantino. Well, you can still I just make don't... your point. You can make your point if you want. To. I, I think saying that what you made is a comedy is a cop out because mm. it gives you the ability to just anytime somebody wants to critique it on any meaningful oh, level, I you can you. say, well, it's just a comedy. You're overreaching. And that that's just bullshit. But I don't think that's first I don't of all, think that's he's why... not funny. I don't think that's why he says it's a comedy. Well, I don't agree with him that they're comedies, but right. no, I, don't I, don't either. I think I don't think that's the reason he says it's a comedy because I don't think he's the kind of director that minds saying, well, I just want this to be this way and I don't care that you think it's bad. But uh, I think the reason he says it's a comedy is because he does sprinkle jokes into them. And sure. they have like they're not my issue with him calling them comedies is they're the jokes aren't that frequent. So the frequency is too low. For me to regard the movies as comedies, I think maybe they're comedies in the sense that if you think of the movie over from beginning to end, you see that there's a joke there somehow. But to me, that's more that's not that's too intellectual to be comedy. Do you know what I mean that's I, too that's too not that's too meta to be comedy? I I interpret it on a on a different way. The, I interpret it the way that the guys that made Texas Chainsaw Massacre call their movie a comedy. Did they call that a comedy? They laugh at it when they okay. when they watch it again. Okay. Yeah, they, okay. Okay. Uh, I think that they find it to be a black comedy or, or a little slapsticky. I can, I can sort of see there is that element with a lot of horror movies where you laugh at the horror that's going on because it's presented in a certain way. But Yeah, and I, I, and I could laugh at, say, something like Troll 2. I can't yeah. laugh at Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? That movie scarred me as a kid. That's a messed up movie. I, I, I like think, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I so. think if Quentin believes that Kill Bill, for instance, is a comedy, then there's something wrong with him, okay. right? Because overall, that movie is not is a structurally a revenge film. It's not a comedic revenge film. There are some tongue-in-cheek moments, which I can appreciate. Yeah. But if you think that her being raped for three years in a hospital bed is funny... There's something demented about you. I, I think I think that 
the way I would describe it is it's not a comedy, but it also it has a lot of long moments that don't take themselves very seriously in the way you would expect. And that is Benjamin. fair. Yeah, that is um, a fair assessment. And I think that's I think that's what he really means when he says it's a comedy. But I right. don't think comedy is the right language to use. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Words mean things. And there, there's a specific definition to the but, genre of comedy. But Tarantino is one of these guys who he just speaks very casually. And so you kind of have to read into what he's saying a bit. If you see him say something, you know what I mean? Uh, he's not a precise speaker. I'll put it that way. Um, you, you can tell by his scripts. <laughs> well, I don't, I, I like his stuff. I think it's, I think it's great, but I think, I think that it's, you know, it's what I like about his movies is the enthusiasm behind them. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and we could probably get lost debating Kill Bill or all of these things, but, uh, I liked so many things about Kill Bill. And I hated so much about the second Kill Bill that it yeah. makes it it makes it difficult, right? It makes it difficult okay. for me to to look at. You can be as long winded as you want, right? Mm -hmm. You you can't be self indulgent. You have to realize that you're giving this off to other people to consume. So I had a very so it's number one. It's fine that you had that reaction, but I just recorded a podcast on Kill Bill one and two. And, I know. I just okay. Yeah, so you know my so. Uh, my reaction is totally different where I liked part one. I thought it was a good movie um, and I enjoyed it a lot when it came out. But when I saw part two, that really resonated with me profoundly um, in a big way. Like, and I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying my reaction to that movie was I really liked it for some reason. Right. And I think the thing I liked about it was the first movie is kind of a tight revenge movie. It's long, but it's, it's concentrated action. Right. And the second right. movie is where you get to see all the backstory play out. And the backstory right. is kind of a love letter to all of these genre movies that he's re referencing. And it's right. And it's also kind of an instructional for this is how you're meant to enjoy these movies that I like so much. He's kind of telling, right. he's kind of showing you how they work and operate. Um, so I, I just had a very different reaction to it. Um, I think I love the fight inside the trailer. Okay, and yeah. I think after that, all the momentum, all the pacing is just ripped out of the film, and I might as well it it might as well have just ended there, at that final fight, at that fight at the end of the trailer because okay. after that it's just exposition, and it's noisome and uh, yeah I I, I find the I, amount of talking he does in part ten in chapter ten, the scene the scene where where she confronts Bill, yeah. Where he's going on and on about Superman, that's an essay. That's a blog post. That's not but a that's, movie. But that's see the thing. Okay, so there's a couple of things I like about that. Number one, you don't get dialogue like that normally in films. Normally, that is true. Normally, you're ushered from dialogue to dialogue in a very brisk way. And the thing that's yeah. attractive about Tarantino, the reason Tarantino movies worked when they first came out, was we were so stifled by some of the dialogue that was exist. Like it, everything was so right. efficient that when when Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction came out and even what's the movie, the, the romance, uh, I can't remember the title, the movie he wrote that he didn't direct. Um, Oh, true romance. True romance. When that came out, the characters were allowed to indulge in dialogue in a way that felt a little bit natural and more sure. how people talk. Absolutely. And so I see that bill scene is that sort of like, that's like the most Tarantino dialogue scene in existence. It's, it's that kind it, it, it's, it's, do you know what I mean? It's 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 him indulging a bit in what he does. <coughs> but 
but that's why people gonna, go see him. You know sure. I mean? You're going to have to give me some space now because now we're on the Tarantino kick. Okay. I think Reservoir Dogs is fantastic. I would I agree. Think, I would agree with that. I, I think it's his best work, actually. Um, and tr- I love True Romance. I'll watch that again and again and again. I think Pulp Fiction does not age well. If you try watching it now, it's a little clumsy. But I do yeah. like the disjointed nature of it. Mm-hmm. And I like a lot of the pieces. There's some things that don't add up um, when you think about it too hard. But I like I, I like it quite a bit. Okay. Um, but it's not his best work. And then you get to something like Inglorious Bastards or Death Proof or uh, the new Western, Hateful mm-hmm. Eight. And he gets so long-winded. He's so in love with his own voice. Uh, and I'll use Death Proof as a perfect example, right? You have four women sitting around a table talking about nothing for 30 minutes, right? And that's great. That's a yeah. great way to make a movie if that's the movie you want to make. Then Kurt Russell comes along, kills one of them. We never see the other characters again. Mm-hmm. And then we immediately cut to four women sitting around a table having the same exact banal conversation we just saw half an hour ago. And Death Proof is his like biggest flop of a movie, too. So I don't think that you'd get a whole and, lot of pushback on your assessment. And then you get to that chase scene, which is one of the greatest chase scenes put on film. And you cannot enjoy it because the wind has been taken out of your sails. Okay. You are okay. so deflated by the bad pacing that just happened the previous hour that I don't care about these characters. Nobody cares about the fate of these characters. So what I'm hearing is you're on board up through Kill Bill 1, and then Kill Bill 2 and beyond is sort of where you... Yeah, I thought Kill Bill 1 was just so smart, right? There were so many smart moments in that film. And then that fight scene happens at the end. You've never seen anything like that before. And then you can't wait for 2, and then all of a sudden he does what... Quentin always does, which is, okay, now I got to make it about me. Now I got to have all this talking. I got to have all these complicated theories that I have about the world, about everything. Here's who Superman really is. Well, and here's what I'll say. What I liked about the, so number one, I like his dialogue. So for me going there, it's going to be appealing. But what I liked about that scene, especially when I watched it more recently, was how, how much heart it gives to the movie. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 it's a very odd turn to go from what you just had with the trailer to like the flashback sequence with the assassination and all that. And then that weird bordello scene to suddenly it's just like an evening at home. Do you know what I mean? And it all kinds of work. It works because of the dialogue and the acting and, you know, and everything that's come before. So for me that worked, but I, I, I can understand that, you know, if, if it doesn't work with you, it doesn't work with you. Um, I think pacing is such an important ingredient in filmmaking and tone. Tone and pacing are such vital ingredients to filmmaking that when they aren't right, it is very hard for most people to, to explain why things are going wrong for them while they're watching this movie. Okay. Well, but that's the uh, thing is it, because he draws so heavily on 70s exploitation and 70s like, you know, like Scorsese movies and stuff like that, I feel like he's inherently his tone and his pacing are always very quirky. Do you know what I mean? They're always kind of like not what is normally the case. And when I went, to, I think, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, when I watched once upon a time in Hollywood, which I waited a while to watch I, these days, I've not I, seen it. 
you don't you don't have to see it. I'm not going to try to convince you to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wait normally now because I want that online conversation to not be in my head when I go see something. Right. And I waited and I watched it and I divided it into two days. I watched the first half late at night, uh, just before Christmas, and I watched the second half the next day. I was bored out of my mind the first half of the movie. And then when I watched the second half, I was really engaged with it for some reason. And so I was like, well, this is really strange. I don't know why. I, I don't understand what changed that that happened. And so I went back and I rewatched the whole movie. And I ended up liking it a lot. It, it, it Actually, I wanted to watch it a third time. It sort of grew on me a little bit. But it right. wasn't an easy first watch. It was definitely a much harder first watch than I'm accustomed to with all of his movies, except for maybe Hateful Eight, which is definitely not an easy movie to sit through. Do you know what I mean? It's definitely a slow film. Um, once I didn't care about the plot happening, then I was able to really enjoy the movie, if that makes sense. Um, right. Because it's kind of a movie where you're supposed to sit there and just hang and enjoy it until the big right. finale at the end. Um, I, 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 Again, the, the reason that I really brought him up wasn't, to defend that style of filmmaking so much. No, no, as, I, uh, it's fine. No, but so much as to say, I just think it's interesting that you aren't going to be having, it doesn't seem like, it seems like now every movie that's getting made is getting made with an awareness of the global audience, an awareness with the of the internet sure. audience, an awareness of how rapidly information disseminates online. And... So you're not going to have movies like that, I think, anymore really getting made. It just doesn't it doesn't seem like it to me, unless it's a small movie that nobody cares about. Do you know what I mean? Right. And that's and that's one of the things I was going to say. There's a number of things I want to say about what you just said. Um, one, I don't really watch big movies anymore. I watch a lot of mm. small indie films. I watch a lot of foreign films. Yeah, me too. Um, I, um, uh, I just tried watching a Filipino movie called Maria. It's awful, but. You can see it's low budget and you can see it's trying to tell a different kind of story, but it's copying too much from 80s American action movies. So it's doing everything wrong. So I turned that off. And I want uh, you said something about um, Scorsese. And I want to address that a little bit because Scorsese is a photographer. He's not really a movie maker. He has a lot of duds it, narrative wise. And so if. Tarantino's really copying him. He is suffering from pacing problems. Well, I should, took... I, I should say he's copying his best work. He's not copying right. every Scorsese movie. His best work was the one that won him an Academy Award. The, uh, uh, what, what was it called? The new one. The uh, what? The one with... Uh, oh, the Irish part? No, no, no. I didn't like the Irish one. The, the new one with uh, Martin Sheen getting run over by the van. Uh, the, de the Departed. Oh, oh, I couldn't. I remember the name of that. But that, Departed that is his best. You think his that's his best, best work? work? Really? I think so. Oh, I don't. I mean, I like The Departed, but I wouldn't call that his best work at all. Narr narrative wise, it is the tightest film he's ever made. The story but, that it is telling. There's no tangents. I think we have very different expectations with structure because. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely. would say I would say I like Goodfellas is not only his best movie, but that's my favorite movie ever. Like I. That's my top movie of all time. Um, I go ahead, go ahead. You you can say you could say. No, no, no. I, 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 I was gonna say I I really like Goodfellas. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's as structurally tight as it could be, 
and it suffers from Ray Liotta as a lead. He's not the strongest lead. Um, and it requires so much narration to tell the story, which is but the one narration of his, is the point. Like it's both. It, I, I get what you're saying, but like the narration it's is one of his crutches, it. right? It's a crutch he uses all the time because oh. the story it's, isn't telling the story itself. I, I don't agree. I think that I think that he uses it in Goodfellas. That's a really good example. I actually like Casino more than I like Goodfellas because Casino uses it better. Well, I would say this: Casinos is, is generally not as well thought of as Goodfellas, but he's taking the same movie and kind of like developing the idea another step. Yeah, yeah. So the techniques are going to be better. Do you know what I mean? Yes. But like, yes. but I think number one, I think it's a tight movie. Like I know I I kind of understand what you're saying, but I also every time I watch that movie, I notice so many different things about it in terms of how it's constructed. And, and I've how, watched Goodfellas about ten times, so I'm not. No, I'm, I don't I'm, hate it. No, I get that. I get that. I get that. I'm not. Um, but I, I, I think our expectations are very different. So, like, you know, like a film like Mean Streets or or Taxi Driver. You know, I, I, I those are they have a languid pace, but I kind of like that. Do you know what I mean? I like that. Uh, like, I guess, like, what's a really, a really tight structured movies back to the future like the go-to example of a tightly structured film would you say that's a, yeah that's a fantastic yeah. example of a tightly structured film but I, it suffers from a protagonist with no uh with no arc but go on okay. we can talk about okay. that later but it's just as an example of tight structure like i see the value of tight structure because when i watch back to the future that is what works about that's one of the things that really works about it how well structured it is and and a lot of the you know a lot of the praise people give that movie for its script i understand why they give it that praise i just i don't think that's the only way to make a movie though do you know what i mean i think there's that way but i think the scorsese way is another approach and one of the things that i like about like you had mentioned foreign films one of the things i like about foreign films when i watch them is they don't follow a lot of the same structures and this, that is this, correct. And this kind of gets back to what we were talking about in the first podcast that we recorded today, uh, where they don't follow a lot of the same structures. And so because they're total, even though they might have their own structures, to me, they're totally new. And so the thing that I'm enjoying is I don't have any sense of what the structure is supposed to be. You know, eventually you watch enough Hong Kong movies and you get a sense of what those structures might be. But the first time you see them, you're like, wait a second, isn't the movie supposed to be over? Like, wasn't that like the third act? And it's not, you know, there's another, there's right. another thing added to it. That's, you know, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what I like about Tarantino. It's kind of what I like about Scorsese is the, you know, the, it, it doesn't, it doesn't play out the way that I imagine a standard movie in my head playing out. If I'm just going to construct like generic American movie, this is what it's got to be. Um, so I watch a lot of foreign films, mostly Indian, Chinese, Korean. Um, and I've watched some French and German films, but the, my favorites are Indian, Chinese, and Korean. The very first few times I watched Indian movies, I realized they're really long. They have a musical moment in them that Western audiences aren't going to understand. Yeah. And they never take themselves seriously. The Bollywood stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Which Once, I don't know that much, but I, I know what you're talking right. about. <laughs> I, they are long. They are in the three hour length category every single time. They are not short films. I have never been bored 
in an Indian movie with maybe a few exceptions where they just didn't know how to introduce characters. Right. There's one called uh, Gobby something something. I don't remember the actual title. I had to turn it off after five minutes because they just had characters constantly walking into the living room. And you didn't know what the fuck was going on. And I just couldn't keep up with it. But that's not a traditional Indian film. And it's not difficult for me to realize, let's say the very first time I watch a Chinese movie or a Korean movie, I figured out the structure relatively quickly. And I realized, okay, there's a lot of cultural moments here at the beginning. It's starting slow, but the camera's pointed properly. I know what's going on. I'm invested in this character. It's quiet. And that's okay. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And we, the, the advantage we have is when foreign films are brought to the States, the best stuff is brought to the States. Yeah. We don't see their failed except, movies. Except when there's a craze. Except when there's a craze, and then you get a lot of the bad, too, on top sure, of Sure, sure, sure. But in America, we have a lot of directors who are working that shouldn't be working, right? They're friends of somebody. That's how they got their job as a director. And there's people putting together films that aren't good. I'm not saying Scorsese is one of them, right? He had to work for his, for his dinner. But we have so much bad in America where people don't even understand or appreciate the structure in the, of the genre that they're working in. Lucas didn't even himself understand the genre he was working in when he was making A New Hope, episode four. And it what that movie was saved in editing, right? The if if you there's a I, video I online know. you can I, watch. I don't I have no idea, so I'm just gonna well, yeah, yeah. Rant it was a rant mess. That. It was an absolute mess before it went into editing. And there's a bunch of scenes that had to be cut. And they had to fix how the TIE Fighter raid, not the TIE Fighter, the X-Wing raid on the Death Star worked and everything. They had to fix so many problems with that film because Editing's Lucas really important. didn't know how to put together what he was trying to say. Editing is really important. Editing is one of the things that it makes, is. makes Hong Kong movies so great is the way that they're edited compared to how we edit fight scenes. Do you know what I mean? So like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've, you know. I've seen all of Jackie Chan's videos about how they put together fight scenes for his movies. They're fascinating. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a very, it, it, there's there's a lot, like, it's just stuff you don't think about. So I could see how, you know, in the wrong hands, editing-wise, a movie like, you know, yeah. Star Wars could hurt out very differently. But if you look at how much 4 had to be fixed from, I mean, honestly, if they had released it the way he had put it together, it nobody would have seen it. Mm. It was that bad. Um, at, who was in there? Uh, the guy that moved, made the movie Snake Eyes and Untouchables. Brian De Palma was one of the first guys to see the original movie, and he was screaming at the screen while it was screening for he and Spielberg. He said, "What the fuck is going on? What is happening in this movie? Who are these people? I don't care." And now this was at a time when he and Lucas were on equal par, right? So he could say whatever he wanted to Lucas. And Lucas walked away and said, shit, how do I fix this? And it was, it was his wife, his first wife. Didn't, didn't the they have a room. similar problem with uh, the first prequel, too? Like, didn't, I, I've seen footage. Of there that. was nobody saying no. There's a, a famous video online showing Lucas asking the question, is the story too complicated? When they were talking about episode mm -hmm. one at this meeting. And all these yes men around him sort of. Oh yeah, no, I know that. But what I'm saying is, they ha you could see that same moment occur, and Lucas was the one who had the realization. Yeah. Um, but people talked him out of it, is how it kind of seemed to me. If I, I don't, I haven't seen that clip in a while, but that my memory is, he watches it, and you can kind of tell he's a little unsure about what he's seeing. And, it, and I, I think, 
yeah, that happens, but I don't think they talk him out of it. I think he just doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody there to keep the conversation going. And then he says something along the lines of, well, we wanted it to be a, a movie with four endings anyway, which I don't know if that's true. I but remember him saying, it's bold. It's bold. It's what bold. I, yeah. uh, I, I just think there's a lot of people, and we're always going to, I'm always going to talk about structure because that's my thing. Um, I think we're always going to see these kinds of problems where a movie is made by one guy and there's nobody telling him he can't do that. And, or there's nobody cutting their cherries. Clinton, Clint Eastwood is really good at this, right? He'll direct a movie and then he'll put the whole thing together and he'll watch it as objectively as he can and say, that scene is too long. Hmm. That scene does not need to be there. I'm going to cut it. I love that scene, but I'm going to cut my cherries. It's called cutting your cherries. He says, I love this scene, but I got to cut it. And it's like killing your babies is the other to, to get story. back to. I wanted to talk about Django. We were talking about Quentin Tarantino earlier and we never talked about Django. The thing that I did not like about Django, because I, I should have liked the movie. It had some elements that I like is every scene in the movie is either too short or too long. OK, none of well, them are the right length. His editor that he used for years passed away around that time. Right. Was that was that her? Last I don't movie? know. I, I, I have a feeling that I don't know if it was Django or if it was after Django. I don't remember when this happened, but he had an editor he used in every movie and she passed away. And I think that impacted the way and it might not apply to Django because she might have still been alive then. But yeah, um, but I, I have a feeling that she was. I have a feeling that that was uh, that his movies kind of started to sh- change pacing after after she passed away. Well, certainly because Django uh, Django. um was the the bastards one and glorious bastards and hateful eight are essentially the same movie they're he, all made the same way yeah but i mean but but directors do that a lot where they have like a slew of movies that are sort of similar like scorsese did that too but like the difference is glorious bastards is still a lot tighter than django or hateful eight in terms of just how everything's paced do you know what i mean like i don't know how to put it like inglorious bastards feels a lot more like his older movies versus Sure. You know, once you get to Django Unchained, you you do start to see some shifts in how long things are lingered on and stuff like that. Um, I think I think chapter two and chapter four of Inglorious Bastards are absolutely not four. There's two chapters that don't need to be in that movie. They just go on and on and on. And I don't care. It's been um, a while since I've seen that one, so I wouldn't be able to break down the individual chapters so well. It's um, the chapter where she comes up with the plan to burn down the the movie theater and it's the one where uh, the bear comes out of the tunnel. Those are both unnecessary scenes because the other ones have so much tension in them. They're so well done that that's all I want to see from that movie is I want to see them in the basement at the, at the pub. I want to see Christoph Waltz going on and on and on with the pen and the paper, right? Uh That's an example of, uh, Quentin Tarantino's dialogue doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know there's people underneath the house. You know he knows there's people underneath the house. And you're asking yourself, how are I we going to get out of this? I get Right? You. How is this going to resolve? And it doesn't resolve the way we expect. Right? Well, it's all there's, uncomfortable. There's a couple of things. Number one, you would definitely probably not like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, at least for the first half. Because right. it's filled with scenes that are that have characteristic Quentin Tarantino dialogue, but there is no suspense underlying or no tension underlying anything that's going on. It's all kind of, 
hanging out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then when you get to the second half, there's a scene where the movie pivots and all of that tension starts returning into the movie. So right. you, you would probably find it grueling. Uh, and I, that said, I've watched everything he's ever made. Right. Uh-huh. I, I watch everything all these people make because I'm still interested in film. Mm-hmm. I'm still interested in story. I still want to see people are, what people are doing technically. But I, I always find myself resisting the same things that say a Quentin Tarantino or a Scorsese does. Okay. I think with uh, with Scorsese, it's a little bit of a harder topic because he's made so many movies and they're all over the map in terms of quality. Yeah. Tarantino, sure. Tarantino is a, his trajectory is a lot more consistent, if that makes sense. Yes. You can see a clear yeah, yeah. map of what he does. So I think it's more interesting to talk about him. I, I think, number one, regardless of whether you think the developments are good or bad, he definitely has changed as a director and there's definitely been a shift in what he allows himself to do and how the movies are structured and how long things go on for. And I think it's interesting that he's always talking about how he thinks directors only have 10 movies in him, in them. And he's basically been telling everybody he's going to make 10 movies and his 10th movie is coming up. And I, a director I might kind of compare him to is Kubrick in the sense that Kubrick was one of these directors who shaped how movies got made, right? Like he, he mm-hmm. was, he, he, he developed a style and people emulated it. But then by the end of his career, that style didn't quite match. Even if the movies were good quality, the style that he was making of movies did not match the style of movies being made at that time. Right. Do you know what I mean? And Quentin Tarantino is exactly the same where number one, his style has changed, but even if his style didn't change, his style doesn't match what the style of movie making anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's right. It feels out of time. Um, and so I'm just wondering if, you know, how, what am I trying to say? If the reason he keeps saying he's going to only make 10 movies is because he can feel himself losing touch with society as a filmmaker. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and maybe that, I don't know, maybe that ties into some of your, you know, you, the, the responses you've had to his more recent films. Do you know what I mean? Is, is it possible that, that he's just, you know, he's just not tapping into, into you anymore as a, as a viewer. I just became more self-indulgent and I am very much someone who Mm. thinks the art is more important than the artist. Okay. Okay. I, it, let's say you were my biggest fan mm-hmm. of my games, right? Just for sake of argument, you love everything that I do. I still don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about the games themselves. And okay. I don't really want to answer any questions about what was my thought process behind X, Y, or Z. I don't want to talk about my thought process. I just want okay. to tell, talk about what the thing is. And so I will always be somebody who wants to make the art the center of what I'm doing. And I'd rather not be... I'm only on this podcast because this is how we have a voice in the modern age, mm-hmm. right? I I would rather that podcasts didn't exist and that my voice never had to be on the internet, right? That would be my dream is that I could talk about metal and movies and everything else we're talking about, but in a non audio format, like, but like, this is like articles modern. or something like that. Right. I don't even want to be on Facebook, mm-hmm. right? But it, that's it obvious. Is a that's very obvious but, that you don't want to be on Facebook, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I just want to make 
And the perfect situation would be for me to team up with somebody that does want to be on podcasts, who mm -hmm. does want to be on Facebook and doing all that stuff while I'm doing the work. Um, and I think that that kind of, and I, I don't want to call it artistry, but that attention to the craft is something missing in a guy like Tarantino or missing from a guy like Scorsese where the name association is so important to the making of the thing. I'd be interested in seeing Quentin Tarantino make a thing and not put his name on it. Well, that's right? an interesting thought experience. That, that's so impossible to test, though, because that's yeah. sort of like what Led Zeppelin did with Led Zeppelin 4, but not really. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, everybody still knew what it was. And so right. uh, how do you... I, I, and I guess there are examples of people successfully doing that and, and still breaking through. I think with Tarantino, it's impossible to separate the content from him. In yeah. a way, it's po I think it's possible to separate Scorsese from his movies, but I don't think it's possible with Tarantino because part of part of watching it and enjoying it is you sort of understand that you're watching this on Tarantino's terms and you trust Tarantino enough to to go with him to places that you might not trust other people to take you. Do you know what I mean? Like there that personal touch is kind of important to his movies in a way that it might not be with some other directors. Right. Um, I don't know. I'm sort of with you on the one hand where I'm not a big fan of social media myself. I am on it, but I don't really, I don't, I don't enjoy social media and I don't really like the marketing aspect of making games and stuff like that. I'm definitely not as artistically inclined as you. I will happily make schlock, but I, uh, I'm, I, I, but as you know, just when I work on anything creatively, what matters to me is sitting in the room and working on it. Do you know what I mean? And being enthusiastic about it. And, right. uh, um, I'm not as worried about the marketing, which has always been a problem for me. Uh, right. I, I, I don't, I, I envy people that are, but I don't know how I've tried to emulate successful marketing and it always kind of backfires on me is my experience. So, right. um, I think, I think, I think if you're not if you're not skilled with that, it's not wise to try to develop that as your skill set, anyways. Um, it's it's just not if I, I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this, but I but I, I've I've had so many I've had so many attempts on social media to be witty about something in a way yeah. that I thought was going to land and it doesn't, and so now I just say things the way that I would say them, which will sometimes be witty, but I'm not expecting them to take off, and that generally works better. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, f I feel like social media is like, it's kind of like getting up in front of the whole class in high school and you get up and you start to talk and then you realize you sound like an idiot midway through and there's, <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and we're just kind of collectively all having that experience at the same time. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I actually, I used to love getting up in front of the class and talking because um, I always, it was easier than sitting down and writing my paper. Okay. If I gave a, if I, if I just talked about the book I read. Okay. Okay. That, I could see it that. It got it done faster and I wasn't nervous in front of these people who, you know, I, I knew that they weren't really judging me because I didn't, I really didn't hang with them anyway. They weren't okay. part of my clique. But I see what you're saying. I totally get the metaphor. Yeah, I mean, it's just um, that. I, w I wish there was just an easier way to do this with one another where we weren't 
adding to the noise because that's what social media is, right? It's such a wall of noise. When you're talking in front of the class, you're the only one talking. Well, that's just, I mean, that's the overall, you know, negative thing about being alive today really is, is if you're trying to work creatively is everything is noise. Like even in just yeah. role-playing games, they're like every day, if you go to drive through RPG, there's, you know, like 10 or 20 new games, maybe even more now. I haven't really, I haven't counted lately, but I feel like, you know, way more games than people are capable of consuming. Right. So right. anything you make, even if it's the greatest thing in the world, it's still going to just be a part of that noise. And I think I would hate to be like in a band today because that would, you had mentioned like before there were only 10 metal bands and now there's, you know, endless, endless bands to choose from. But what that means is every band is going to have like 10 fans, do you know right. what I mean? Rather than a million. So, you know, everything is noise and the noise is kind of just helping people to cultivate their individuality, I guess. I don't know. It's sort of a, uh, you're just, you're just like a, you're like a pin on the jacket, you know? Um, but, but someone yeah. in the early days of the internet termed the term, the, uh, coined the term, uh, eschaton. They didn't coin it. It existed beforehand, but they use it to describe that the amount of noise on the internet would eventually get so great that there would be material on the internet that nobody read. Which is totally true. Now there are definitely yeah, yeah, blogs I think people are not reading. There has to be a PDF on drive through RPG that has never been downloaded. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I'm sure there are ones that have been downloaded and never read for absolute sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that would be an interesting experiment to go. I could, I know Steve, the owner to go and ask him, give me 10 PDFs that have never sold. I want to download them and see what they are. Well, the funny thing is I'm willing to bet you a lot of them would be quite good. It's probably going to be about the same as if you randomly grabbed any other RPGs. And the only the only thing that's going to be different is the covers. Do you know what I mean? Like the covers are going to have some unique quality that that means people didn't see them. But I I I I'm imagining that the quality of the material is probably going to be, you know, all over the map because you it's 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 there's just so much coming out. Of course, there are good things coming out that people are not buying. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but how many things do people like in order for something to exist, how many people have to download it? Do you mean like if five people download it, is that enough? I don't know. I don't, I don't understand the question. No, I what I'm saying is like at what, at what, at what level, what's like the, what's the minimum for you to really exist on the internet? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, like obviously most people, like there might be examples of games that have zero downloads and YouTube videos that have zero views. But even the ones that have a small number of views don't really exist either. Do you know what I sure. mean? Sure. So what's the breakthrough point? What's the number? Like at what point are you actually be existing on the internet and not just sort of shouting into whatever space you've carved out for yourselves? I'm going to take a look at something. I know that this does not sell well, this thing I'm looking up. It's something of mine. I'm running a report right now to see how many I've sold. I have a list, uh, a PDF of 100 elementals. You would think that would be something D&D players would want. I have sold five copies. I mean, that 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 could just be a product of timing. You know what I mean? Like if, you, sure. if that came out the day that another book came out that more people wanted, it can easily impact that. 
Also, what's the price point on that one? 99 cents. That's why. That's why. Because why? because when you sell books at 99 cents, they don't ever get onto that top 100 list because it's yeah. based on value. And so that's well, how it's you... just a 1D100 chart, right? It's a no, complicated I... 1D100 chart, but those were those used to sell really really well. I'm going to here's what I'm going to suggest you do. Make a second edition of that book. And charge five <laughs> bucks for it. Charge 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 five ninety nine. It's just one page. It's a. I don't care. I don't care. Just you know, you can say that in the descriptive text. You can say this is one page, but it's worth five bucks. And you're Jim Pinto, so I know you can make one page that you think is worth five dollars. Charge five dollars for it, and see if it sells more than five copies. That'd be an interesting experiment. I, I guarantee you, and have the same cover, and I guarantee you it it would sell more. Because I, because I think it has a better chance of getting on that top 100 list. And then as soon as you get on that list, you start selling co- lots of copies, not just of that book, but of all your other books. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I think it would be interesting to see. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I don't know we've gone on for an hour and a half. So I think now uh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. we stopped talking yeah. about Star Wars a long That's time fine, ago. That's fine because we were talking about things that I think are still kind of interesting. Um, right. But but we've definitely we've definitely hit the end of the road of, of these three episodes. So so we'll we'll head out and we'll be back on later and you know we'll see you then.